Tonight, calling Dr. Carson. He's one of Trump's staunchest supporters. Why Trump's pick for vice president might be hiding in plain sight. Who would be in the running for vice president? Well, I can't tell you that, really. I mean, I know who it's going to be. Strange bedfellows. Trump and Biden have something in common. They both want Trump to be the nominee as soon as possible. Why the media plays along. Those policies that Nikki Haley is talking about, those are Donald Trump's policies. The China virus part two. We won't have to worry about treating the next Chinese-made coronavirus. Reports are it will kill everyone, literally. Why we learned nothing from COVID. And fun police. Why the Biden administration wants to ban humorous signs from the side of the road. They really do think we are a nation of Homer Simpsons. Best in the West. (laughs) It rhymes. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, the rise of Ben Carson. It has been meteoric over the past couple of weeks. The former presidential candidate and neurosurgeon is back on the national political stage. Right now, he's serving as a campaign surrogate for Donald Trump. And Carson speaks in terms, whether it's on the stump or scripted, that Trump loves. You you think about the Bible and uh, King David. Uh, Most of those people probably, if they were alive back in those days, would have said, oh, what a horrible guy. You know, the episode with Bathsheba and some of the other things that he did. And yet he was a man after God's own heart. God uses different people for different times. You need somebody with a Manhattan business type of uh, personality. All right. So to be fair, who doesn't like being compared to God? In fact, Donald Trump speaks of himself sometimes in the very same way. If you want to defend your honor and if you want to defeat the radical left Democrats and save America, you must vote for your favorite president of all time, Donald J. Trump. Trump plays into the messianic ideas of his followers. It, It works for him, clearly. And Carson, as you saw, and as we've seen over the past few years, knows how to work the media. He's willing to fight back in the way that Trump likes. You saw him on Fox News. Now here he is on CNN. He was with Abby Phillips the other night when she called his former boss, Donald Trump, vindictive. I think we've already seen that President Trump is not a highly vindictive individual. And that he didn't go after Hillary after he was elected in in 2016. President Trump, you're saying President Trump is not a highly vindictive people. He's literally pledged to prosecute his, to Joe Biden. He said he would do that. He said he would go after people who wronged him. I always have a tendency to look and see what people do, not so much what they say. Ben Carson is also absolutely unflappable, probably comes from years of being a neurosurgeon. Donald Trump says he's already picked his VP, or maybe at least picked the list of people he is going to look at. And just think about what's happened over the past couple of weeks. Carson's increased visibility on the trail. And Carson has a long history of loyalty to Donald Trump. He's obviously African-American. 
And he has a track record at the Department of Housing and Urban Development under Donald Trump that has made Ben Carson a made man, to borrow a term, in the next administration. The question is going to be, made for what? Who would be in your, in your cabinet, in your administration, mm-hmm. if you are the nominee, which I know you expect to be, who would be in the running for vice president? Well, I can't tell you that, really. I mean, I know who it's going to be. Give us a hint. I'll give you. We'll do another show sometime. The Trump campaign, when we asked him about this segment, says that they haven't had conversations with anybody. It was a very cryptic answer. Trump and Carson have a long history together. Carson worked in the Trump administration, as we told you, HUD, Housing and Urban Development Secretary. They seem to get along quite well. Trump never fired him. That was a distinction that not many cabinet secretaries had. They also both ran presidential campaigns in 2016. Yet unlike all the other Trump rivals, when seen at the debates, Carson and Trump got along. Dr. Carson, you just heard his medical take. (laughs) He's an okay doctor. doesn't smile at people like that very often, especially his competitors. Most importantly to Trump, Carson has never upstaged Trump and doesn't seem to have a desire to. He's on a small list of Republicans who haven't criticized Trump but are still broadly acceptable to the base, even to swing voters. Carson was Senate confirmed. And perhaps most importantly to Donald Trump, he appears to have zero presidential ambition of his own. Ben Carson, in other words, checks an awful lot of boxes. Shermichael Singleton worked as the deputy chief of staff for Dr. Carson in the White House, was also Dr. Carson's faith and coalitions advisor during his brief presidential campaign. Hey, it's good to see you. Um, All right, let's talk hypothetically here. All right, does my logic make sense? I mean, look, I I think that Dr. Carson and former President Trump are are going to have to make whatever determination the two of them decide. I'm I'm not certain if the conversation has been asked that you've alluded to in terms of the possibilities of the former president and the former cabinet secretary working together in the Republican general uh, election. We'll we'll see what happens. Anything is possible. But I will say this. Uh, Dr. Carson is a man of integrity. He's a man of faith. Uh, He is someone who instills comfort in in most Americans. He is someone who instills experience after spending years as a pediatric neurosurgeon, being the first to separate conjoined twins by the head. Uh, Most Americans are familiar with his legacy. And as an African-American, he is someone who instills and ensues pride about what is possible in this country. When you work hard and study hard, you can become something. Let's talk about this just in terms of the politics of it, right? The, the, The key demographic that Joe Biden has the hardest time with is African-American yeah, men. Yeah. Okay, and you think about, uh, in terms of support, more black voters now plan to vote for Donald Trump. He got 6% nationally in 2016, 9% in 2020, 22% now plan to vote for him in six battleground states. Does Ben Carson mean something different on the ticket to African-American men for for Donald oh, Trump. I mean, absolutely. Hold, hold on. Mm-hmm. Then Kamala Harris does for Joe Biden. I mean, find someone in America who really likes Kamala Harris, and I'll write you a million-dollar check. You oh, can't. I mean, she, she's but, married. She's but, married. But, she's got a couple kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but Dr. Carson is a family man. He's raised exceptional children who are all doing some incredible things. Uh, he is a man who cares a lot about hard work. Uh, many black men care about hard work. 
Uh, he's someone who understands the importance of the economy and economics in terms of building a business, which he's since done, since leaving medicine, since leaving politics. And so all of these sort of aspirational things of success, uh, family values, of someone who understands the preservation of the family nuclear unit. Dr. Carson has lived all of those things. And so from a black uh, no, man's I, I perspective that. who's looking at a Democratic Party that can't tell the difference between a boy and a girl and that's embracing all types of very interesting uh, viewpoints, Dr. Carson seems to be someone in many ways who provides stability in a very turbulent environment. All right, and yet he is talking in godlike terms mm-hmm. about a three-time married known philanderer from New York. You know what? Dr. Carson always says, Leland, God uses sometimes the worst people in the world to get his message across. The Bible speaks about that frequently. And it doesn't surprise you, their relationship even? I, I get being all. cabinet secretary. This Not at all. Not yeah, at give all. Give me because, a moment. Because, you know, give look, me a moment. Hold on. Give me, you, were, you were there for some of the big moments between mm-hmm. Dr. Carson, then Secretary mm-hmm. Carson, and the president. Give me a moment there that says their relationship is different perhaps, than some other Donald Trump's cabinet secretaries, a lot of whom he does not have yeah, that yeah. kind of continuity. I mean, I, I think the former president trusts Dr. Carson. I mean, every person... You think Carson would want to do it? Would I, it be good for him? I, I don't know. Dr. Carson will have to make that determination. But, but the, the, president under, the former president understands that when Dr. Carson speaks and gives advice, it's coming from a place of, of deep consideration, prayer, thoughtfulness, and faith. Dr. Carson is not a prideful person. Dr. Carson doesn't do anything. He doesn't act out of selfishness or greed. He acts out of the best interest of those around him. And for someone like former President Trump, wealthy individual, former president, he's used to a lot of people asking for things, a lot of people disliking him. To have the comfort of a friend that just doesn't want anything but your best, mm-hmm. that's something that anyone would yearn for in that position. Well, you know what they say in Washington? If you want a friend, get a dog. <laughs> well, he has Dr. Carson, okay? <laughs> there you go. He's going or to get, do- or well. get Dr. Carson. All right, fair enough. It's good to see you, sir. You Thank you. Despite their differences, and they have a lot of them, President Biden and Donald Trump, at the very moment as we speak right now, less than a week before New Hampshire, they have the same goal. Both Biden and Trump are trying to make sure Trump wins the Republican nomination as quickly as possible. Democrats strongly believe their best bet at winning in November is against Trump. And as for President Trump, he spoke this afternoon about Democrats, well, what they're going to do when it comes to Nikki Haley. In New Hampshire, they allow Democrats to vote for whatever reason in the Republican primary. And they also let uh, independents vote in the Republican primary. President Biden benefits from a rematch with Trump. It will energize Biden's base. It may be the only thing that energizes Joe Biden's base. In the same way, Trump wants to declare himself the nominee so he can point to efforts to keep him off the ballot to energize Trump's base. Democrats know the playbook for this especially well, and they know it in New Hampshire. Back during the 2022 Republican Senate primary, Democratic groups spent $3.2 million to run ads in New Hampshire attacking the more moderate candidate. It worked. The right-leaning, the Trump candidate, if you will, Don Bulldog, won the primary only to lose in the general, just what Democrats wanted. Corey Lewandowski managed Trump's 2016 campaign, joins us now. Are you, ba- are you back in New Hampshire, Corey? Is my logic work uh, all the way up north there? 
I'm in New Hampshire, and we're excited. This is like our Super Bowl, Leland. It lasts a week. Donald Trump is here tonight in Rochester. He's back on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. We're poised for a big victory for Donald Trump. And there's, there's two very important things that the viewers have to remember. The, the state of New Hampshire has never been treated well by Joe Biden. You remember on primary day when he was running for the presidency, he left halfway through the day to go to South Carolina. And Donald Trump was victorious here in 2016, defeating at the time 17 candidates, his first primary victory, going on to win 38 times and Corey, securing Corey, the Republican I, Corey, I, 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 I get all that. I, I got it. Help me understand, though, if you think I'm on to something, that, that there, there's, a, there's a point here where for some Democrats, they are going to do to Nikki Haley what they did to other moderate Republicans because they'd rather run against Donald Trump. Am I being too conspiratorial? Yeah, I think, look, here's the truth. The race for the GOP nomination is going to be over on Tuesday. It doesn't matter what the Democrats do. Uh, Nikki Haley is losing to Donald Trump right now in the Republican primary of a poll out today from Suffolk University. 50 for Donald Trump, 34 for Nikki Haley. If you just look at the Republicans voting, Donald Trump is at 61. Nikki Haley's at 24. This race is over. Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee. He will be the Republican nominee before Super Tuesday. If Nikki Haley stays in the race, she will lose her home state of South Carolina, a feat that even John Kasich didn't succumb to in 2016 when he carried his home state of Ohio. So, look, Nikki Haley's race is over. I don't know if I told her that, but we love and relish the opportunity to talk about the failures of the Biden administration, and we're ready for that fight. All right. You and I, we will respectfully disagree whether it's over, but I, your point's well taken in terms of the new polling. Um, that's out. Something interesting, I think, is happening, which is the Democrats and Democratic sort of thinking and leaning folks are starting to reconcile or realize there's a chance uh, that Donald Trump is going to be president again. This from Jamie Dimon, uh, the most influential man in finance right now, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase uh, at Davos, where all the important people gather in Switzerland to tell us how to live. Take a listen. He's kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. Mm-hmm. He grew the economy quite well. China, China virus. Ta- tax reform worked. Mm-hmm. He was right about some of China. I don't, th- I don't like no, what he did. No, I said China virus. Yeah, I understand. When he, when he may have been right. He, and I don't like how he said things about I Mexico. I don't like, but he wasn't wrong about some of these critical issues. Andrew Ross Sorkin, the CNBC anchor's head almost exploded at that moment. I don't know if you could see the, the clip, but I, there seems to be this reckoning going on. And at the same time, you've got Jamie Dimon speaking in those terms, the Washington Post. Uh, Trump carries farm country, but can he win the Chick-fil-A vote? Huge margins among sparse populations uh, give Trump an appearance of invulnerability. But the closer the race drew to a population center, speaking about Iowa, the weaker he appeared, the question the GOP ought to be asking, can Trump win where it counts? And yet, sort of the the look down the nose, oh, those people who eat Chick-fil-A. Are we starting to see echoes of 2016 yet? Look, we're starting to see a candidate that is on the glide path to the nomination. He won 98 of 99 counties on primary night in Iowa. We know what the Biden administration has done to this country. Open borders have devastated us. And it doesn't matter, Leland, if you're in New Hampshire or you're in Iowa or you're anywhere else. The number one issue when you poll it is what's most important to you is the issue of immigration. And whether you like Donald Trump's rhetoric or you don't, you felt safer when he was in the White House and you believe he was going to secure our border and build a wall. That is the number one issue. It's not anything else. And Jamie Dimon is right about one thing. Donald Trump had a bustling economy before the coronavirus. 
brought it to a screeching halt. The American people remember it, and it wasn't that long ago where we had cheap gas prices, we had insurance that we could afford, and people could heat their homes and not have to make a decision about how they get to work every day. Those days are over. We're no longer feared by our enemies, and we're no longer respected by our allies. The American people are ready for Donald Trump, and we're ready for Joe Biden because we see every day just how frail he really is. Well, uh, Jamie Dimon also made a lot of money when Donald Trump uh, was president of the United States. Uh, with that, uh, Corey, thank you very much. We're going to see you uh, starting Friday night up in New Hampshire. Looking forward to having you uh, in person and on the show. We'll see you then. Uh, speaking of the border, what, what Corey was just talking about. The White House signals it's willing to sacrifice Ukraine and Israel so that more immigrants can come across our southern border. What the White House missed about what Corey just said. And Big Brother has no sense of humor. Secretary Pete's Department of Transportation wants to stop states from using funny signs to stop serious problems like drunk driving or texting while driving. Why the Department of Transportation cares so much about something like this. Santa sees you when you're speeding. There will be no deal. There will be no money for Ukraine, no money for for Israel, no money for our own needs unless you stop the abuse of parole as well as other things. All right. Today's Senator and foreign policy hawk Lindsey Graham laid down the law ahead of the government funding shutdown. That one word that he said, parole, explains all of the problems at the southern border. Of the two plus million people who come across illegally each year, 85 percent or more get paroled into the United States. That means they get a bus ticket to the city of their choice. They get a work permit to be here in America and are told to show up in a couple of years for a court date. President Biden can change the rules about parole tomorrow and send all of the people we see back to Mexico to wait for their asylum hearings. By definition, a lot fewer people would come. We learned the reality on the border when we were down there. The more people who come over and get released with a bus ticket or a plane ticket to the city of their choice and then call back to their friends and say, hey, I made it, the more and more people who come. That explains why the number of crossings under President Biden are many multiples of those under President Trump and expected to only continue to increase. The New York Times today issued a warning to Democrats pressuring the Biden administration to keep parole. Quote, the Democratic Party increasingly reflects the views of socially liberal professionals on immigration. These affluent, highly educated voters tend to favor more open policies, while working class voters prefer less immigration. But it's not just a working class issue. December 2023 poll shows 79 percent of registered voters want more Border Patrol agents. In other words, to stop more people from coming. 67 percent want to deport illegal immigrants already here. 58 percent want to use the military to stop illegal immigration. With us now, Director of Data Science Decision Desk HQ, Scott Trainer, Democratic strategist Kurt Bardella. Gentlemen, good to see you. Scott, and we saw that, right? 27% of Americans identify as Republican. 58% want to use the military. More than two-thirds want to deport people who are already here. That surprised me. What, what has the border become a proxy for? 
It's basically become a proxy for everything from uh, economic issues. That's which, what we hear when we look at the results in Texas and Arizona and California. It becomes a, a, a proxy for social issues. That's what you, what you look at when you see the, the people, the mayors of New York and Chicago. And it has become a partisan issue. By and large, Democrats um, promote a, what they call comprehensive immigration reform. And Republicans want something more concrete, whether it be um, a wall or troops on the border. Yeah, like we think like about that. what the deal right now on Capitol Hill is that in look, the, the big four, everybody was at, at the White House for negotiations here. OK, so the, the deal basically 61 billion for Ukraine, 14.2 billion for Israel, 14 billion for border security, 1.2 billion to combat fentanyl, all things that people want and to end parole. Mm-hmm. And what I can't figure out, Kurt, is that the it seems kind of obvious, right? Of you want people to stop coming across, you've got to stop letting people out into the United States. All the more, you know, a thousand more border patrol agents doesn't do any good if you're just going to catch people and and release them. Mm-hmm. How did we get? Forget deporting everybody. How did we get that letting everybody into the United States is so sacred among progressives? Well, I think that progressives are a victim of their own left flank kind of promoting this idea that, well, we should welcome everybody in the world, right? The, the, uh, we are all a nation of immigrants. You hear that catchphrase a lot, I think, from the left. Um, they are horribly out of step where I, think, where I think most Americans are right now on this, especially when we're seeing now in cities like New York. It used to be, well, it's a border issue. It only affects people on the border. The rest of the United States doesn't really care because they're not on the border. But now that we're seeing migrants get bussed over to Chicago, to New York, to cities, to metropolitans, they're like, wait a second. This isn't working for us. This is a problem. We do not like this. And the more that that keeps happening, the more we're seeing Democrats just not adapt to the reality that people are seeing every day in their backyards. It's not just like in California where we're from here. They are now seeing it in their streets. They're seeing it in their workplaces. They're seeing it in their hospitals. They're seeing it in their schools. Democrats need to wake up here because this is an issue that could cost them dearly in November if they don't adapt. All right. uh, Congressman Pete Aguilar, Democrat, on this. Take a listen. We're not going to fix this by by building walls. We're going to fix this through broader use of technology, manpower, immigration, uh, judges, uh, uh, humanitarian assistance, uh, aid to local communities uh, who are dealing with the frontline um, uh, impacts. Unfortunately, uh, as you've heard recently, um, Speaker Johnson doesn't believe in in anything comprehensive when it comes to uh, the border immigration. Look. Politicians are known to spin, but that's just disingenuous because you can have all the Border Patrol agents you want, Scott, and if you don't say once we catch people we're going to deport them, we're just going to release them, it it doesn't matter. This is the question. Are swing voters buying the concept that Republicans are holding up immigration reform? So it depends on how it's framed. I think by and large, swing voters want a solution. You know, Republicans want to want to be specific about either, you know, military in the border, border walls, whatever it is. Swing voters just want to stop talking about this, which is why I think it's interesting. You look at what Mitch McConnell's been saying to the conference. You look at what the Democrats want. Speaker Johnson obviously is against it. You know, by and large, swing voters don't want to talk about this issue anymore, which is why it's their number one issue. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of the polling, the news. They wanted they wanted they want fixed. And it yeah. seems kind of obvious how to fix it. Kurt, though, I'm wondering about the White House here. This is an election year. It seems really obvious and very easy to say we, we're getting hundreds of billions of dollars in spending that we want in return for this very sort of minor thing of saying no more to parole. What is the White House's calculation? Like, what are they afraid of if they do that? 
I think that they're afraid of losing their left flank even more. Listen, they've alienated the left right now on their Middle East policy. We're seeing a revolt, an outright revolt from the likes of people like Bernie Sanders uh, leading tanking resolutions about Israel. Uh, you know, they have the issue with Ukraine. They're having these issues with their left. They can't, there's only so many places they can afford to alienate the base that they are going to need in November. Because I'll tell you, if the Democratic Party base continues this line of, well, we're not really enthusiastic about, about Joe Biden, say what you want about Donald Trump. His voters are enthusiastic about Donald Trump. They are excited to vote for him. They will show up for him. Biden doesn't have that luxury right now. Yeah, the, li- the line we saw and I heard in Iowa was, you know, they'll, they'll walk over glass for Donald Trump. His voters will. Um, they will walk through a frozen tundra. That's what yeah. we figured yeah. out mm-hmm. in Iowa. One thing, we've been talking about immigration since Clerk, er, Kurt and I were Republican staffers, right? That's how long <laughs> we've been talking about it. And this is a huge campaign issue. It's interesting to me that the Republicans are saying, hey, we're, well, this is not the time, whereas the Democrats want to. That tells you kind of where the enthusiasm is, and it, it lines up with the point. It's, it's what Corey Lewandowski said in the, in the last yeah. break. Gentlemen, good to see you. Thank you very much. As always, we appreciate it. These guys definitely remember this. Animal House, the greatest movie ever made. (laughs) When Dean Wormer described and defined double secret probation. You're not walking out on this one, mister. You're finished. No more Delta. You bought it this time, buster. No more fun of any kind. That's the message from the Department of Transportation about highway road signs like this. Santa sees you when you are speeding, among many others. We have pictures of them. Some of them are pretty funny about your in-laws. Slow it down. Visiting in-laws, slow down, get there late. Apparently, Pete Buttigieg's Department of Transportation thinks that funny signs are too distracting, as if drivers would be overwhelmed by laughter at the dad jokes. Use headlights. Don't want coal in your stocking. Put the phone down. And to be fair, Buttigieg and Wormer appear to be men of similar viewpoints. The safety of millions of Americans traveling by air does not rely on Wormer. It does rely on Pete Buttigieg. And lately, his DOT is failing badly. Today, the FAA announced their inspections of the Boeing assembly line for the 737 model that lost a door. Never mind, there's an air traffic controller shortage, the numerous misses by the FAA of the 737 MAX problem that caused two planes to crash, and the near misses between planes in the air that keep happening. The list goes on and on. It is the job of executives, leaders, people like Buttigieg and Wormer, to prioritize issues. It's hard to understand why dad jokes on highway signs outrank planes without doors or commercial jets running into each other. Tomorrow, Marky Martin and Nick Smith welcome Miss America 2024, Madison Marsh. Tune in to hear how the United States Air Force officer represented her fellow airmen at the pageant and her plans for the future. That's tomorrow on Morning in America. I believe I'll be on Morning in America, too. Nobody will be tuning in to see that. I I don't take it personally. Coming up next, a new report shows that China tracked COVID spread for two weeks before telling the world what was coming our way, which makes news they're developing completely lethal. A new lethal strain of COVID, even more frightening. We'll see you in a minute. 
Now for some good news about a brand new virus that has just been made in China. We're not going to have to worry about cures for this new virus because evidently it will kill all of us. Much like creating a deadlier coronavirus at the Wuhan lab to make COVID-19, the Daily Mail reports Chinese scientists infected what they call humanized mice with a new coronavirus that affects the brain and boosts, boasts a kill rate of 100%. Professor Francis Bauox, an infectious disease expert based at University College London, wrote on Twitter, it's a terrible study, scientifically pointless. I can see nothing of vague interest that could be learned from force-feeding a weird breed of humanized mice with random virus. Conversely, I could see how such stuff might go wrong, you think? Joining me now, former Assistant Secretary for Health and Human Services, Dr. Brett Gerard. Good to see you, sir, as always. We had a doctor on earlier, a different program, who said, well, if this study is well done, well controlled, we could learn a lot from a safe lab. And I thought to myself, have people just not understood what the Chinese are doing? Did we not learn after covid well, thank you for having me on. I think this study is a potential nightmare scenario. And I think it's sort of the equivalent of the if I did it book for what China did during COVID. They harvested viruses from a pangolin. For COVID, they harvested it from a bat. But in this study, they just didn't look at that virus. They put it in test tubes and allowed it to mutate, 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 mutate. And then they tested the viruses and lo and behold, the virus out of the pangolin didn't hurt anyone didn't hurt a humanized mice, but now their mutated virus killed 100% and it went to the brain. And that's just the start. Uh, they're boasting about this, and you know where this came from? It came from the People's Liberation Army Medical Center. Now, isn't that a coincidence that it came from there? The final thing that really concerns me is they tell, they tell us, and this is putting, us, putting it in our face, they're telling us that they know why it's lethal because there's two changes in the spike protein, two amino acid changes, but they don't tell us what it is. They're, they're absolutely hiding that so we can't understand this virus and start making vaccines or countermeasures to it. And by the way, there's no BSL-4 laboratory in either of the institutions that published this study, so they're doing it in unsafe laboratory conditions. I really feel, and I tweeted this, that President Biden needs to demand the sequence of this virus tomorrow from President Xi, it needs to be given to our researchers so we can make sure that we have adequate vaccines and countermeasures, because this could be a nightmare scenario. Well, uh, in, in other news, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you like to play, I guess, other than that? But look, I mean, you make a great point. They, they don't have the, the labs, and we know that in terms of the safety standards that you would need to to look at these kinds of viruses and do this. It, it makes me think, though, about what happened during COVID. And, you know, the dot, dot, dot here is we still don't know about so much of COVID. There's been no Blue Ribbon Commission. We know Dr. Fauci, and he just admitted that it basically they made up six feet of social distancing. And I think to myself, because you were there, of all of the things that were done with the public that broke our trust, when it came with the government, when it came from between government and health officials, whether it be if you get the vaccine, you can't get COVID, uh, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, then wear a mask, on and on and on and on. All the fights about uh, about masks in schools and in, on planes, all of it now 
might actually be really serious if you go from something that had a 0.1% kill rate, which was COVID-19, you know, done by the Chinese, to something with a 100% kill rate. Well, you're right, and I don't want to totally alarm your viewers because just because it kills 100% of mice doesn't mean it's going to kill 100% of people or even 1% of people. Mice. That's right. They're meant to simulate what humans happen. So um, this is not necessarily, you know, that kind of doom, but it is extraordinarily concerning. And I'm telling you, they are telling us exactly what they did with COVID as we suspected. No, they didn't purposely genetically engineer, you know, make something happen. But they took the COVID virus out of bats. This is yeah. what I believe. They put it in test tubes, allowed it to mutate, then yeah. picked the ones Doc, that was the I, most dangerous. I, I hate to do this to you. I got to go. But I think you said it best. Um, the If I Did It book uh, from the beginning. Thank you. We appreciate your time. Um, as scary as it is. Coming up next, President Trump's mugshot in Georgia. Well, it turns out the district attorney who charged him might get one of her own. The new revelations about Fulton County's D.A. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And is perhaps lying in her latest public explanation of hourly rates she paid to her alleged lover. So we said it may not constitute misconduct in the Trump case, but pay attention. I appointed three special counsel as is my right to do. Paid them all the same hourly rate. Why she's talking about this in church is something we'll get to in a minute. But the one accused of a relationship with her apparently received $100 more for his hourly rate than the other special prosecutors. Something very different than what she said. She's charged criminally or forced to resign for conflicts of interest or self-dealing. It could completely derail the Georgia investigation into Trump, where she charged Trump and 18 of his associates with numerous charges like making false statements and conspiracy to defraud the state. Georgia criminal defense attorney Andrew Fleischman joins us now. Great piece by him in the Daily Beast. It's good to see you. Andrew, should this be a political conversation? I don't see how it can not be a political conversation, right? Because whether or not you believe Donald Trump did something wrong in this case is sort of a political question. Uh, but as far as the legal stuff goes, there's a pretty clear legal problem here, and there's a legal standard we apply to it. All right, but I, I guess in terms of, hey, if a prosecutor, if an elected official is having an affair with someone she's hiring and paying close to a million dollars of taxpayer money, and we don't know if the affair is, is true, although we understand there are documents that may provide that proof. But if we just mm -hmm. stipulate for the second that the, that the affair is true, it's not really a political question about whether Donald Trump did anything wrong. If a prosecutor does something wrong, that's a defense attorney's gold mine, is it not? Um, potentially, yeah. And the question here is whether or not having that romantic, undisclosed relationship and that financial relationship created an actual conflict. Did it plausibly cause her to do things she would not have otherwise done? Uh, and on my piece, oh. I argue that, yeah, there are a couple of ways that it might have affected the outcomes of this case. 
I guess at some level, though, in I think about this is this woman who's a Fulton County District Attorney was elevated to this sort of messianic-like national figure by by Democrats for going after Donald Trump. And now all of a sudden, sort of bedrock issues are brought up about her integrity, including like the fact that she goes in a, at a church of all places and says, I paid everybody the same. And then there's questions about that. That that creates a, a, a legal issue in the sense of makes it awfully hard to argue a case, doesn't it? Um. I'm not sure what you mean by argue a case, but you shouldn't make people heroes while they're living because they always have the capacity to disappoint you. And we saw this with Michael Avenatti and other figures who were major sort of resistance folks and who didn't pan out. You have to look for people who are going to keep doing the right thing, and you don't always know if that's going to be the case. Fascinating. Uh, real, real quick, um, you think she's going to have to resign? Resign? I don't know. Disqualified? If the allegations are true, then I think there's a really good chance she's disqualified from the case. If that happens, it delays the case past the election, almost certainly. Fascinating. Hey, we really appreciate the perspective. Thank you. Uh, This isn't over. You're going to be back to talk about it. We'll talk soon. Coming up next, the Biden administration launches new strikes against the Houthis. That's the Iran-backed group. Is it too little, too late? Breaking news right now out of Sana'a, Yemen, four o'clock in the morning there, still 8 p.m. here in Washington. The U.S. and U.K. are launching a new round of strikes on the Iranian-backed Houthi rebels there. This is brand new video just into News Nation. Defense officials tell us the strikes successfully targeted more than a dozen sites in the western part of the country just hours after the Houthis targeted a U.S.-owned ship. Of course, earlier today, the Biden administration designated the Houthis as a specially designated global terrorist group. Morgan Ortega is here, former State Department spokesperson. Uh, Yes, but not a foreign terrorist organization. Uh, Why? Why these like incremental steps, you think? Uh, I think it's a political decision, to be honest, um, and, and I say that from two different perspectives. Um, first, uh, and I used to, many years ago, build designation packages uh, when I was an analyst at the Treasury Department, so I know what these are like. They're very time-intensive, and at the State Department, it took us about a year, Leland, to build this designation package to name the Houthis as an FTO. Within weeks of the Biden administration taking over, they rescinded that designation. The reason why they did so is because uh, very lefty foreign uh, aid groups had been incredibly critical, and and probably some of this is warranted, by the way, uh, for the Saudi uh, fight in Yemen. Uh, They were obviously at war with the Houthis, and there was a lot of civilians getting killed. So many of the aid organizations opposed it whenever we in the Trump administration put that foreign terrorist organization, FTO, label on the Houthis. And so that was one of the reasons, sort of throwing a bone to your base, that uh, Secretary Blinken and Biden rescinded that designation. Unfortunately, um, when you'd rescind something for political reasons, Leland, uh, and you don't actually get something out of a negotiation, well, then the other party can continue to act uh, as they were before the designation, and that is exactly what the Houthis did. The Houthis literally began attacking within days 
of uh, Blinken removing that FTO designation. So now you have three years. By the way, it wasn't just the removal of the designation. In February of 21, President Biden made a speech where he demanded essentially that Saudi stop uh, attacking or stop, you know, defending themselves against the Houthis, stop the war in Yemen, said that no more U.S. military hardware would be sent, no more U.S. assistance, because he wanted to end that war. And while Biden wanted to end that war, Iran did not. So for the past three years, you have had Iran aiding, funding, abetting, training, and equipping the Houthis, which are a terrorist organization. Whether you want to call them that or not, that's what they are. So they've had three years to continue to attack and to continue to build up uh, their capabilities. And now you see, Leland, the nightmare scenario, the one that we all dreaded, the one that we all feared after 9-11. That nightmare scenario is that a terrorist organization would have things in their hands like ballistic missiles, like sophisticated drones, where they could attack U.S. ships, U.S. sailors, and U.S. service members. That is exactly what a terrorist organization has 20 years after 9-11. And today, by calling them, not by calling them an FTO, but by going one level down and calling them a specially designated global terrorist group, it effectively takes the, the teeth out of the, out of the sanction. Mm. So the Biden administration uh, for, for, did this me, because I, they I, did not want to piss off these same groups. Sure. Yeah, no, I, a, and that's, that's where I was getting. No, 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 look, you're, <laughs> you're the right person for this because you, you have the you have the explain, you know, you have the timeline from being the people who originally named them a foreign terrorist organization now to today. Um, unfortunately, we don't have enough time for that comprehensive an answer to my final question uh, because we're going to run out of time in the show. Yeah. But I, I got 30 seconds. Um, there were protesters outside of the White House, lots of them trying to break into the White House over the weekend, shouting, Yemen, Yemen, make us proud. How is it that we have gotten to a place in America where there are thousands of people showing up, chanting in support of what you rightly call and what by any fair assessment is a terrorist organization. Uh, I, I have no idea how, well, I don't want to say I have no idea how we got there. You, we got there because these are the same groups. Listen, there was a lot of groups that were blaming the United States after 9-11. Um, it is a far leftist um, ideology that thinks that it's America's fault every time something bad happens in the world. I think bad things happen in the world when America doesn't lead and when America isn't out front and whenever America is passive. Um, and that's why we did things like in the Trump administration, like we actually gave the Ukrainians, you know, weapons before Russia invaded, go figure, something the Biden team didn't do. So it's just a leftist ideology about America's place in the world. And I just don't agree with it. Morgan, we got to run. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, The strikes, we don't know if they will continue throughout the night. We'll keep an eye on it. Here's Chris. Hey, I'm Chris Cuomo. It's Wednesday. We're live. So let's get after it. So we can't get the Chinese to let us investigate where COVID-19 really came from. But guess what? They may have just told us they just admitted to experimenting now with a COVID strain that is 100 percent lethal in mice. And people are like, oh, it's just mice. 